0: No, you guys are good, because I was awkward, because I was like the only person walking around for about a minute. So I'm glad other people are actually greeting each other. So. There you go. Well, still, there you go. Hey, good morning, everybody. We're glad that you're at Calvary Church. Uh, I'm excited about what God has for us today through his word, and I'm glad that you guys showed up. If you're newer, we want to welcome you, and so glad you came by and gave up some of your time to be here to worship with us. And if you want to know a little more about what's going on or if we can help connect you with anything, there are some bulletins Uh, in the back when you came in. You can grab one. There's a way for you to give us your contact info or let us know any questions you may have or any ways that we can walk with you. Um, And for those who consider this a church home, right, even as we head into summer, we have different things going on, uh, different trips, different events, different ways to partner together, different ways to rally around the vision with mission trips. And so we just want to make you aware of that. And that's in the bulletin as well. So good source of information. And I promise we're not just printing bulletins because we have toner ink that we don't know what to do with. I don't know what else we would do with the toner ink, but it goes to good use. So we'll grab a bulletin. We want to keep you informed what's going on Um, because we're excited about what God's doing here in our season at Calvary Church and how he's working in people's lives. Uh, around us, so let me pray, and then we 'll get into our sermon uh, and see what God has for us. Can you can turn me down just a smidge like just like a, like a hair smidge would be spectacular thank you uh, father we 're grateful for the opportunity to come again uh, and to worship together with your people and i 'm grateful for what you 're doing in my life and in the lives of so many people, and uh, we come not in our own power, not in our own abilities, Father, but we come uh, dependent upon you, grateful for the opportunity to serve you and Father, thanks uh, for your word, and again, I say it every week, God, but you're so kind to not have us guess at what you want in our lives, um, but you tell us, and you put it out in front of us, and then you give us the Holy Spirit that helps us understand it and internalize it and apply it in our lives and empower us to do the things you want us to do, and so we're grateful for that. So, Father, we come again to this just really important passage, these very important words of Jesus that can have such application um, and be such a defining moment perhaps in some of our lives to really help us focus on what you would have for us. And so I pray that your spirit will work, and I'm grateful that I can trust you for that. And I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. Well, Probably one of the, you know, I thought about it, right? There's, there's a variety of things that you guys or other places I've pastored email me about or want to grab coffee a car and talk about, but probably one of the top three or four things that different ones of you or different people I know uh, want to talk to me about as a pastor, right? One of the top three things that most people want to talk to me about is this issue of, hey, just trying to decide God's will for your life. Many times some of you will email me in or some of you want to grab coffee or just in informal conversations, you'll say something like, hey, man, I'm just trying to figure out what does God have for me? And I'm trying to discern, right? What, what's his purpose for me? What's his will for me? How do I make that decision? How do I think about those things? That's the question. That had many different chapters and many different moments in my life. uh, Casey and me and my family and I have personally wrestled with, right? Trying to discern God's will, trying to discern God's leading. I've been there thinking about that. And maybe this morning, for some of you, it's not a hypothetical question. Maybe this morning for some of you, that is the exact question that you're wondering on this muggy pre-summer day, right? Maybe you're coming in this morning and there's just all this stuff swirling in your mind because what you've been trying to figure out the past few weeks or past few months or past year is that question of what's God's purpose for me? What is God's will for my life? What you're trying to figure out is this question of that there's something going on and you're trying to pray through and think through and get advice through. Does God want me to stay or does God want me to go? Does God want me to start something? Does God want me to stop something? Does God want me to fur- and pur- further pursue that relationship? Does God want me to call that relationship off. What does God want me to do in terms of educating my kids? <clears throat> what does that look like in elementary school, in middle school, in high school, in college? Do I go? Maybe that's what you're thinking about. Did this question of whatever it may be, maybe the thing for you this morning as you're trying to wrestle with, what does God want for me <clears throat> in this particular moment, in this particular season in which I find myself? Well, if you've ever asked that question, when you ask that question, if you're asking that question today, here's the good news for you. Ready? I can promise you one thing. Ready? I can promise you this. If it doesn't if if I don't deliver on this, sue me, okay? I'll win cuz I was good. But you can sue me anyway. You will be able to walk out of this room today with absolute certainty about at least one thing that God wants you to be doing if you're wondering what does God want for my life, what plans does he have for me, what path does he have for me, you will be able to leave this building and get into your car to head to the diner with clarity about one unmistakable thing that God wants every single one of you who is a Christian to be doing with your life. And that one thing is this great grid that you can then start processing other things through. You will be able to walk out of here with certainty about one purpose that God has for your life, not because of what I say, but because of what Jesus says in the text in which we are today. We're in this series called After. What we're doing is we're tracking about the the 40 days or so between the period when Jesus was uh, resurrected and then when Jesus ascended back up to heaven in the first church service. We're kind of tracking those days. And so far in our series, we've seen a bunch of different interactions that Jesus has had with different people. We've seen him address some people who were on a road trip, and they were trying to figure out what's going on with Jesus being killed. Did he rise? And he entered into their questions and their confusion on their road trip and gave them some clarity, we saw Jesus show up to one of the guys who had followed him who doubted, who thought that maybe Jesus had failed him and Jesus gave him reasons to continue in his faith and trust. Last week what we saw was a leader who made a really bad choice and who fell and who stumbled and Jesus came in on the side of a body of water, Jesus restored him and got him back into the game. And today, we're about one month after Jesus' resurrection. There's about 10 more days or so until Jesus will go back up into heaven. And today, what Jesus is going to do is speak to a bunch of his disciples to give them clarity about what he wants them to be doing, to give them clarity about what he is going to call them and commission them to spend their entire lives doing. We're going to be in Matthew 28 Verses 16 through 19, I put some guilt on y'all about having a device or a Bible last week if you were here. I have a spy who claims that she saw more Bibles or devices coming in, so... Man, that's like the only time in nine years I've ever tried to give guilt to you guys. So I don't know if it worked or not. We'll see. But if you've got that Bible, if you've got your device, if you don't have a Bible or device, I am not going to buy you a smartphone. But I will give you a, we will give you a free Bob on your way out in some different languages If that would be a way to help you. Whatever you have, open it up to Matthew 28, 16 through 19. And here's what we're going to see in our time together. And it's going to sound a little intimidating, but it's going to be good, I promise. Well, I don't know if it's going to be good, but it won't be super, super long. All right? Here's where we're going. Because you're going to start hearing these ones and fours and fives, and you're going to be like, ooh, I better just head to my car now. We're going to see one clear mission or purpose for your life. One clear mission or purpose for your life. Three things that are involved in that mission. Four things that get you off mission and then just two things to keep in mind. So that's where we're going in Matthew 28, verses 16 uh, through the end. So let's jump into it. <clears throat> Here's what uh, verse 16 says. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So the group that's involved in this, we, we see from the text, right, there's 11 disciples What a lot of scholars and commentators think is actually there were way more than 11 disciples. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6 talks about 500 people to whom Jesus appeared in one moment after his resurrection. And a lot of scholars and a lot of commentators think, well, obviously these 11 people were here, but they suggest that there were also uh, 500 people who were here in this moment hearing what Jesus said as well. The location that these guys, definitely the 11, maybe 500 more, show up is this place called Galilee. So let's just kind of reorient ourselves on this map that we have here. And here's where Galilee is. They've been down hanging out in uh, Jerusalem, which is about here. And so that's where Jesus' trial took place, uh, Jesus' crucifixion outside Jerusalem, his resurrection. There's been a lot of stuff happening up in Jerusalem. But now what Jesus has told them is, hey, guys, you need to kind of wander your way up to Galilee And I'm going to appear to you there. This is where we were last week. Last week, this fishing expedition that we saw took place in the Sea of Galilee. And interestingly, when Jesus first began his ministry, he began his ministry in the region of Galilee. When he first started calling people to follow me, to come after me, when he first started the whole thing, he was in Galilee, and now that Jesus is wrapping up his physically present ministry on earth, it's kind of bookends. He's back where he started, and he's going to complement the very first things that he charged people with, with this thing that he's going to tell them now. And, And whether there's 11 or whether there's 500, to those people who are up in Galilee, What does he tell them in this moment? What's his instruction? Here's the instruction in verse 19. He says this. So so let me just read the rest of it. When they saw him, they worshiped him, verse 17. But some doubted. And then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He, here's what Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Son, teaching them, right? There, there's, three or, there's four different things he tells them to do that we read, right? We read these phrases, Make disciples, go, baptize, and teach. But out of those four phrases, there's actually only one command. Only one command. It's the Greek. It's the imperative. There is only one command. And the only one command that Jesus says to these guys is this, make disciples. Make disciples. The charge, the command that he tells them to do here is make disciples. Disciples. Now, what does that mean? Well, a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. A disciple is somebody who has a relationship with Jesus. A disciple is somebody who grows in looking like Jesus and grows in their walk with Jesus and in their trust with Jesus and in their obedience to Jesus. All of that is involved in discipleship, and what Jesus is telling these 11 people and maybe 500 more people is this, hey, I'm leaving, and your mission, when I'm gone, what I'm entrusting you with is this charge to go and make disciples, make disciples. If you want to know, if you're a Christian, what God's will for you is, Here's the one thing that you can know with absolute clarity as part of God's will for your life. It is to make disciples. Make disciples. There's kind of three thoughts that then flow out of that. If our clear mission, unmistakable, you do not need to pray about it. None of you need to go home today and put on some quiet worship music and say, Jesus, will you just help me to know if you want me to make disciples? Will you just confirm? You do not need to do that. He has already told you. I don't know what he'll do if you ask him that, but he'll be like, you knucklehead. I put it in writing for you, right? You can know. Don't ask questions. Don't doubt. You don't have to wonder. God's mission for you. One unmistakable mission, make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. Three thoughts that then flow from that. If that's our clear mission, then kind of the first implication that comes out of this is this. Hey, as Christians, we need to pursue the right mission. We need to pursue the right mission. And it's important for me and it's important for you to know that our mission is to make disciples because you know what? Sometimes many of us pursue the wrong mission. Our mission as Christians is not to try to figure out how we can get Jesus to give us a more comfortable life. It's not. But man, you know what? I spend a whole lot of time on that mission. That's the wrong mission. Your mission in life as a Christian parent is not to figure out how to ensure that your sweet child doesn't miss out on any single activity in which they can participate. That's not your mission. Is it bad for your kid to play Little League? No. There is no, like, you know, First Opinions, verse 26, that says don't play Little League in the Bible, right? But let me tell you, man, you got your six-year-old in gymnastics, in ballet, in pottery class, in macrame, in ice hockey, in pickleball, in t- and you're running yourself ragged because you think that's what your mission as a parent is to do. Or it, It's not necessarily bad, but that's not your mission. See, sometimes I think our problem, we need to know our mission because many of us, we're pursuing the wrong mission. Me? many times, as a guy who gets paid to study the Bible, I do, like I said, pursue the wrong mission of trying to make, have Jesus make my life more comfortable. It's not what this is about. It's a distraction. Second thing that flows from what our mission is, your mission is to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. And so here's the second thought that flows from that. Do not let what you do not yet know Keep you from doing what you do now. Do not let what you don't yet know keep you from doing what you already do. Not do now. Some of you, you may not yet have wisdom, and this is really tricky because there is this big debate about does God really care whether we live, which house we live in, right? There's a little, there's a little bit of theological, had to go in that. But some of you are praying for clarity in something. And you may not know yet. Is, does it seem like God is leading you to a house or leading you to a job or leading you to have another child? And, and you're praying through that and you don't yet know the answer to that. But you know what? You do know one thing God wants you to do. And what sometimes happens in our lives We spend so much time thinking about and fixating on and praying about all the things that we don't yet know that's ahead in the future that it keeps us from doing the things that we already know that God wants us to do. If you're praying over something and asking for God's direction and God's clarity in your life, on a choice, that is great. But... While you wait for him to answer that, man, press into making a disciple where you are now. Don't become so fixated about where God might lead you in a month or two months or in a year that you fail to make disciples in the place that he has you now. Don't become so fixated about where God might have you in a year or two years that you fail to make disciples in the very place where God has you now. Is God going to you, lead you to a job a year from now that might be more fulfilling? He may, I don't know, but I know he's got you in a job now. And I know one thing he wants you to be doing in that job now. You know why I know? Because he's told us, make disciples. Make disciples. I don't know where God's going to lead you to go to college. A lot of you probably, I think you've already figured some of that out. I don't know if you're going to graduate from there or go to a different school or drop out and start a trade, but I know wherever you take that first step, even if that's not the final step, he wants you to make disciples now. I don't know if God wants you to have another kid. I don't know. But you know what I do know? He sure wants you to disciple the kids that you have now. He doesn't want you to outsource them to us. Sorry. Some of us, me, me, me. Gets so fixated. What's five years from now? What's five years from now? What's five years from And God's like, you idiot. I'll take care of the five years from now. I got you where you are right now, and I've told you what I want you to be doing, so why are you so confused? And I'm probably not the only one who falls into that pop pattern. It's important for us to be on the right mission, and man, especially... Trumbull is located in Fairfield County. Not everybody lives in Fairfield County, but probably most of us live in Connecticut. And this place is crazy land. There is, there, I went to an event, a, a nonprofit deal the other night, man, and they're talking about fifth graders who are freaking out about where they're going to go to college. Man, we live in this pressure-filled place where it's about performance, about success. It's about trying to make enough to pay our bills. Right? All of that is there, and sometimes that gets us off mission. Some of us need to know our mission because we're pursuing the wrong mission. Don't let what you do not yet know keep you from doing what you do know. And the third thought is this use your mission to make disciples as a tool to help you in decision making. Whatever decision you're facing go, stay, start, stop, date, break up, I don't know, right? Whatever it is, man, you put on the lens of, okay, God wants me to make disciples. And you run the decisions through your mission of making disciples. And the question you ask yourself: man, does one choice position me to better fulfill my mission? Will one decision put me in a better place so that I can be more effective in making disciples? Will one decision put me right, right, more effectively, more helpfully to make disciples? If you're trying to choose between two things, okay, which one? will set you up better to make disciples. Some of you are thinking, like, Peter, that's crazy talk. I don't want to figure out which neighborhood to live in based on whether it will make me disciples. Why? Why? Because that's what Jesus says to do. And if there is a neighborhood that will position you better to make disciples, and if you don't, like, if, if God has not, like, appeared in a burning bush to say where to go, maybe what you should say to do is, hey, which decision is wiser? And as I think about which decision is wiser, which choice will better position me to fulfill my mission of making disciples? Make disciples. That's what he wants you to do. Make disciples. So the question becomes, well, what about these other three things, right? This this go, this baptize, this teach. What do we do with those three other things? Well, those three other things are, right? Right? these little words, words that are involved, the three things we need to do to perform our mission. What Jesus says is your mission, make disciples. And in order for you to make disciples, what's involved in that is you gotta go, you gotta baptize, you gotta teach. You will not be able to fulfill your mission of making disciples unless you go baptize and teach. These things right here, this is gonna be great. We're gonna bust out some Greek. Those in the Greek syntax, are participles of attendant circumstances. I don't know what that really means, I just know that's what they're called. Participles of attendant circumstances that tell us what we need to do in order to fulfill our mission. And maybe you aren't effectively fulfilling your mission because you've gotten stopped at part one. Maybe you, maybe me, maybe we are not effectively fulfilling our mission because we never get past this one. Never get past it. It's, it's uh, interesting. When I was a parole officer, one day I'm going to stop telling war stories, but not quite yet, right? <laughs> uh, man! Somebody asked me, the other night, what was your favorite job? No offense to y'all, I think it was being a probation parole officer. There is nothing more exhilarating for a guy in his young 20s who's about 205 and at the gym every day to get up at 4.30, put on a bulletproof vest, have that badge swinging over your thing. Back, man, I'm so, well, it doesn't really matter. I won't get too far in the illustration because I'm about to lose traction, okay? But you got the thing, you got the thing, you got the uh, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Man, it's good. <gasps> okay, so, but here's the deal. When we, I can still remember my bad guys' names. No, I'm not kidding. There are a few bad guys I will, re- I will be taking my last breath, and their names will be on my lips. It won't be like, I miss you, baby, or Jesus, here I come. It'll be like, Brian, Keith, Stevens. Well, here's the deal. What we did is my bad guys would, met. okay, I shouldn't call them bad guys. They were called our clients. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, some of my clients would make bad choices and then we'd have to go get him, right? Like we got to get the dude, right? But let me tell you, that was our mission, kick in his door, drag him out of bed, get him back in jail. Good mission. Clear mission. If we just sat in the parking lot in our car with our vests on, would we be effective? No. What did we actually have to do? Oh, look, you're a bunch of parole officers. You know how it works. We had to go because if we never went, we would never fulfill our mission. Here's what you and I are really good at. Man, if people come to us, ooh, we're so excited. If somebody asks us, can we come with you to church? You're like, yeah, that's what I'm telling That's my kind of discipleship. Like they'd ask me, right? We're good at that. We're good when people come up to us, but I don't think that word says three things we need to do to perform a mission. That, wait till somebody to come up to us. It's not in the Greek. But that's what we do. That's what we do. You're never going to fulfill your mission waiting for people to come to you. You're never going to arrest a bad guy who is unwilling to turn himself in if you sit in the parking lot in your cool little car with your vest on just sitting there. You won't accomplish your mission. And if you're serious about following Jesus, and if you're serious about having what he tells you to do be the primary driving force in your life above every other driving force in your life, then you gotta go. You gotta be proactive. Now, let me own something. It's easy for me as a pastor to be proactive. It is much easier for me as a pastor to be proactive than it was when I was whatever else I did in my life. Because people expect pastors to talk about Jesus. It's kind of like they're offended, right? If at some point you don't try to like put some pitch on them, they're kind of like, I don't really think he's a pastor. I understand that it's easier for me because of my job. My job invites it. But just because it's easier for me than it may be for you doesn't mean that gives you an excuse not to do it. That's not coming from me, that's coming from Jesus. And he meant it. He had 40 days on earth that he decided to purposefully appear to people who he was going to leave behind here on mission. And the one big thing he told them to do, not a 42-point bullet list, one thing, guys, go and make disciples. Go. It's hard to be proactive because you've got to put yourself out there. It's hard to be proactive because you have to say to somebody, hey man, I heard you, would you ever just want to like learn more about the Bible? I know you're like, that's crazy. I, I may have the opportunity to kind of walk with one of my neighbors because, <clears throat> man, you know, there was just this moment where he was talking and I'm like, you know what, bro, if you ever want to, we can, we can hang out a little bit and I'll just explain to you how the Bible's structured. And he's like, I'd, I'd have no idea. I'd love that. I think people may want to know. You and I, we do real A-plus on waiting for them to come to you. How would you rate yourself on going to them? How would you rate yourself? This is the one, literally, for me and for you, this is like one big mission that Jesus has given us to do. Make disciples. I thought about, this is one thing that stops us from going to do this. What else might stop us from going about this? And I thought, man, you know, I don't necessarily know, but I do know uh, this buddy of mine who recently retired as a colonel in the Army after 25 years, a bunch of deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan. I thought, you know, it seems he'd be a pretty good source to find out what keeps people, what keeps soldiers from not fulfilling their mission. When you have a group of people who are on a mission individually as a team, what are some things that prevent them? So we chatted this week, and just off the top, right, he, he popped up four quick things, a few more, but here are four of them. Four things that keeps a group of soldiers from a guy who's been in 25 years, done six or seven tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. This is what keeps a group of people, gets them off mission, or keeps them fulfilling their mission the enemy, the terrain, internal team dynamics, and logistics. Probably more. He should write a book one day with the 42 things that keep people off mission. But here's four of them. Enemy, terrain, internal team dynamics, and logistics. And I thought about that for a little bit. And I thought, man, I think in many ways we're, we're not a group of soldiers who are being deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, but we do have a mission. And in many ways I think the exact same things as what gets individual Christians or groups of Christians off mission. And here's what I mean. I first one is enemy. First thing that can get you off mission is the fact and the reality that you have an enemy. I asked him on the phone to explain each of these. And I said, okay, well, talk me through the enemy. And you almost, I could sense this like, this eye roll, like, Smith, seriously? You're going to ask me why an enemy can get you off mission? But he was very gracious after I sensed that eye roll. And he explained it and he says, well, look, you as a group of soldiers You have this this mission to go do something. And then he rattled off a bunch of them that was like, oh, dude, that sounds cool. Like, infiltrate, obfuscate, I don't know what else, This destroy, distract, oh, it's awesome. I'm like, yeah, okay. But then he said, but you know what, that's what you're trying to do, and you have somebody just as hard trying to stop you from doing that. You have an enemy who just as hard is doing everything they can to stop you from accomplishing your mission. And you know what? If you're a Christian, you have an enemy. And you may ask yourself, what is that enemy doing? You know what your enemy is doing? He's doing everything he can to get you off your mission. He's doing everything he can to stop you from accomplishing your mission because he wants to win. And everybody who becomes a disciple of Jesus and follows Jesus well, he sees as a loss. And he doesn't want you to be on Team Jesus. And sometimes man, he resorts to nuclear attacks of moral failures to get you off mission, but many times he doesn't need to do that because he's got us pretty good with apathy and with complacency and with distraction. You have an enemy, a roaring enemy who seeks not just to side-check you at the hockey game but to destroy and devour. And he's pretty effective at it. We need to take it seriously. What's another potential enemy? What my buddy said was terrain. Terrain. Sometimes they had a map and they thought they knew it was going. And so they'd start this hike or this thing into the place they were going to blow up or do whatever they are going to do. And they hit this swamp they weren't expecting to hit. And then instead of just being there, they're slugging through this swamp or this deep weather. They're climbing a mountain that wasn't on the map. Or this blizzard comes in and there's snow or it's super hot. And all of this unexpected terrain that they're having to cross is an obstacle that slows down their mission or might even prevent their mission. It's the same thing for you and for me as we're Christians together individually on mission. The second thing that can get you off mission is this. Unexpected obstacles that cause discouragement and weariness. Sometimes that unexpected obstacle for us might not be a swamp, but it might be a conflict. And all of a sudden, there's this conflict that we're trying to navigate. We're like, wait, I thought I was going to help you grow as a disciple, and now we're fighting about something. Sometimes we get all excited because we got this plan, or we want to mentor people, or we want to do something, or we're going to plant a church, or we're going to serve in a community group. And... Days go by and weeks go by and months go by and we just don't see the fruit we thought we would have. And then we get discouraged because it's like we've hit a mountain or we're slogging through a swamp and it makes us just want to check out and disengage. Sometimes the challenges we face in life cause us to think that we've lost our way and we don't even know where we are on the map. And when we don't even know where we're on the map, we're like, I don't even know how I'm doing as a disciple or I can... Make disciples. Unexpected obstacles that cause discouragement and weariness can cause us to get off mission. Here's the third thing, right? He said team dynamics. Here's the third thing that I've packaged out for us. And this is a big one. Fighting with other Christians, team dynamics, right? His example was, look, if you don't have people all pulling their weight as the team, everybody's got a role in that unit that's trying to fulfill their mission. And if you got the one dude that's supposed to lug the thing that ain't lugging it, the whole team suffers. Everybody has a role and everybody needs to do the role for the team to be successful. But many times there's not buy-in, or many times there become people don't believe in it, or many times there's infighting internal team dynamics that will knock a group of soldiers off mission and those same type of dynamics can knock us off mission or you off mission. Fighting with other Christians instead of engaging in gospel centered moments with non-Christians sometimes our team dynamics as Christians can be really really bad. (sighs) We spend so much energy disagreeing with each other about things that have nothing to do with our mission. It's true. (laughs) Think about what you're upset with at our church. Think about what maybe you're sitting in those blue chairs because you're upset in another church. Maybe it has something to do with a mission of making disciples, or maybe it just has to do with they didn't do something the way you wanted. You had a preference for something to be done a little differently that wasn't Realized. I mean, I literally have thought about my time at all churches and I'm like, it'd be really interesting to think or survey other pastors and just to ask us as pastors, how much time in your role as a pastor is spent on things related to the mission of discipleship or running an organization and handling the conflict that comes up in that organization over absolutely trivial things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of Jesus. You know what? I think for a lot of pastors, it'd be really heavy-weighted over here. Hey, do we have to run organizations if you're in a leadership role? Yeah, you do. That's part of the gig. But so much time trying to navigate conflict among a group of people who have infighting over something that has nothing to do with mission-related things. That gets us off track, and that becomes a distraction. A distraction. And I guess the question is for you and for me, when we think about church, when we think about Christianity, right, what, what do we spend more time thinking about? Do we spend more time thinking about what is happening in our church? That we Now, if we say the Bible is not true, if we say Jesus has come back from the bed, dead, man, those are like critical things to get upset about, okay? That is, those core things that are unorthodox, heretical points. Yeah, you should be upset if you're sitting in a church that's pressing up against those. That is like you're totally off mission. You're like I don't even know where you are, right? But you're somewhere else. You ain't on mission. But if you're part of a church that's on mission, like Orthodox, gospel, Bible-believing church, if you're sitting in a church like that, and I guess that'd be most of you because you're sitting in this church, I guess the question is when you think about your faith, when you think about what's happening in church, do you spend more time thinking about what's against your preference, or do you think about how I can proactively make a disciple? What do you think more about? I don't know why the church is doing that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I wish they would. I wish they would. Okay, that's okay. You can have an opinion. Come tell us your opinions. We'll talk about it. I'm not being a dictator, but I'm saying, how much time do you spend thinking about, okay, I don't care if they have plastic cups or blue cups or red cups or whatever cups that they give me my coffee in. How can I proactively make disciples of people around me today? Which does more of your thought go to? Fourth thing that gets us off mission, logistics. That's what he said, logistics. And his example was this, hey, you can have the best soldiers in the world, but if they don't get the bullets to them on time, they're going to lose. It's pretty compelling, hard to argue with. And so here's the deal, right? What does this have to do with you? For you, and this is where we do have responsibility as leaders and elders here at Calvary Church. Look, fourth thing that can get you off mission is not having the proper support or resources. What God said to everybody is make disciples. And then what God says in Ephesians, right? He's calling groups of people as pastors, as shepherds, as leaders, as teachers, right? To equip you guys as you're on mission to do the work of ministry. We're all on mission together to make disciples. Then he calls some people at different moments for different seasons to equip those people with the logistics they need as they're on mission to go and make disciples, Our mission together, our vision together at Calvary Church, right, is to build a body of what? Okay, great. We need to get bumper stickers or t-shirts because... That was weak. Right? Our mission at Calvary Church is to build a body of disciples. That means that in part, we as leaders want to come alongside and we want to put things in place. We want to personally walk with you. We want to logistically come alongside you and equip you as you fulfill your mission as building disciples. We're not just trying to say, go out there and do it, come back in six months and send me a postcard. We're in this together. And we all have different roles of equal value. Equal value. All of us. Different roles, right? In your ministry and whatever God's called you to. And our role as leaders in this moment is to come alongside and just walk with you and equip you and talk to you and do what we're doing through sermons and do what we're doing through community groups and do what we're doing through adult classes to give you what you need so that you can go out and do your mission. That's why what we're going to have happen here in about 33 minutes is we're going to have a class, third or fourth one in a row, right, where we're talking about, man, as Christians in today's culture, how do we think about truth? What keeps us from thinking about truth? What are obstacles to that? What is our role in culture? How do we, right, what are the proper things to, to go to look to to truth? We are not offering that class because we get paid by the hour. That was my other job. $350 an hour. Those days are gone. I do not need to fill my time, right? We're doing this because it's like, man, if we're trying to be out there making disciples, we are getting battered in today's culture, and we don't know how to respond. And so we're going to call our church together in these adult classes, and this particular one, we're going to say, give us 45 minutes, and let us try to equip you and try to give you some logistics. You can choose to do with it what you want. I'm not coming to your house to give you a personalized lesson like as a hologram like Luke Skywalker. We're saying, man, we're, come on, we're inviting you to it. Now, if you don't do it, that's fine, but then you can't get mad and saying that church isn't doing anything to help me grow. Is there so much more we can be doing? We, look, I hear about what other churches do. Man, there's so much. Sure, we could be doing a lot more. Sure, any church can always be doing a lot more, but we are purposefully trying to do things in this season that seems what God would have us do to help us grow as disciples and give us logistics, and we don't want you to miss out on that. And so we're not trying to waste your time, we're not trying to waste our time as teachers. We're trying to say there's logistical things we need to know to grow as disciples. And one thing we need to know is what is our role in culture and how do we try to process truth and culture. Because if you don't understand that, it is game over. You will never get out. You will never get off that aircraft carrier to go do your mission. You will crash in the ocean. We don't want you to crash in the ocean. Jesus gave encouragement then, because this can sound so intimidating. I know it sounds intimidating. When I was in corporate jobs, literally, I'd leave a sermon like this, and I'd be like, I don't, what does that mean? I don't know what it means for you, but I know you have the Holy Spirit that can help you figure it out if you're a Christian. I know that it means doing something. I literally would leave a sermon like this thinking like, dag gum, that's what you say in the South. Like, do I just put a Bible on my desk as a lawyer? Is that how I fulfill my mission? Do I hang up like a little picture of a church mission project? I, I didn't know how to do it. I st- it's very challenging to still know how to do it. But I know if we're not praying and I know if we're not going, we're never going to take steps towards doing it. Jesus knows it's challenging. Remember what Jesus told Peter last week? Hey, bro, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm restating, right? I'm recommissioning you. I'm, I'm restoring you. Hang around here for a little bit because in another five or ten days, he's going to give to him this. And, Peter, I'm going to give you your mission. right? But then what Jesus says is, hey, Peter, as you're waiting for your mission orders, let me just tell you something. Your life's going to be really hard when you're on mission for me. right? But Jesus, when he then sends these 11, these 500, he wants to give them some encouragement. And here's the two pieces of encouragement he gives them. It's very interesting. We skimmed over this. But if you look at um, verse 16 or 18, this is how he starts. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What he's saying is, I am in charge of everything. I got it all under control, I can do anything, I know everything, I'm in control of everything. It's either from my hand or it comes through my hand, but nobody's got it in charge better than me or bigger than me or except for me, right? He wants them to understand his sovereignty. He wants them to understand his power. He wants them to understand who he is and what he can do. He just came back from the dead about 30 days ago. He's saying, guys, remember who I am. And then right after that, right? Right, I am in charge of it all, powerful over it all. And then he says this, therefore, therefore, because of that, knowing that, understanding that, clinging to that, therefore, make disciples. And as you go, know that it's ultimately not up to your power. Because you don't have all the power. You just have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. And what Jesus is saying is, I've got the power. Ooh. I didn't even mean to do that. It just happened. (laughs) Right? I've got the power. You just go on your mission, and I got you. Your job is not to save anybody. We put all sorts of pressure on ourselves, all sorts of pressure on ourselves. We think we're selling a car on Craigslist, and it's our job to close the deal. That is a lie. Your job is just to be obedient. Your job is just to go. And Jesus is saying, I have all the authority. Know that Jesus who sends you is sovereign and has all power and all authority. And then look how he ends. This is what he says, last words. "Right, Go, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. I'm going to call the worship team, can come up here now as we end with this. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. The way that always is, it's like always, always. It's like every day, always. It's like every moment of every day, everything that you're doing, everywhere you go, every breath you take, Jesus is saying is, Hey, I'm with you. Always. You're not alone on mission. You have the most powerful, wisest, loving person who's in charge of your mission, who is alongside you, with you, on your mission, and he just says, look, I don't want you to be confused. Make disciples. So how are you doing with it? How's it going? What in your life are you really, really good at? And whatever, what are you pouring all of your energy into? What are you wrapping all of your five-year plans around? See, look, I'll confess, i got a lot to confess. I'll start with this. So many times my decisions are not based upon what helps me further make disciples. It's not. Based on everything that you struggle with is everything we struggle with. How, how, what are you really, really thinking about? What are you really, really planning for? What have you done really, really well in your life that you've said, I've accomplished something, and does any of that have anything to do with the mission that Jesus has given you to make disciples? And if it doesn't, what's going to keep you from doing it? This today can be a pivot point in your life. This today can be a turning point in your life where you say, with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, I'm going to get on mission, and it will drive not quite everything because we're fallen, sinful people, but we're going to strive to have it drive everything that we do in our lives. What would a group of Christians who were on that mission together in a community that needs to know Jesus look like and what is keeping you from being that type of Christian? Father, thank you With the Holy Spirit in those hearts and lives of us who are followers of you. Uh, Help us to listen to this and to know what it has to do with each of us in our own lives. And Father, I pray that for many of us, as this is your will, you want us to be doing what you call us to do. Will you exhort, convict, challenge, guide, bring clarity about the place that you're leading to to make a disciple or be involved in that process better? Father, you don't waste your word. You don't waste this moment where we've heard from Jesus. And I just pray over our people and over myself for the work of the spirit to help transform us and shape us better into this. Father, guard us all against leaving this place and having these words just fly out of our minds. Transform us, reshape us, and reprioritize us for the good of your kingdom, for fruitfulness for Jesus, and for the hope of people around us.